National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio presents. I wish my head could forget what my eyes have seen. Ten years ago, the groundbreaking firefighting movie Burned took audiences closer than they'd ever been. Into the fires and into the lives of the men who fight them. Ten years in the making, the long-awaited follow-up is finally here. The workload has increased and manpower has decreased. Burn X explores stories and characters you've never seen before and continues the journey for many of the Detroit firefighters you met in the first film. Fire Class 2019. Order your two-disc ultimate edition of Burn X on DVD and Blu-ray at burnstore.com or get it for streaming and download on iTunes, Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, and Voodoo. What is a man's worth that doesn't make the world a better place? Taylor's Tins, one of the best there is. A good friend of ours and supporter of National Fire Radio. He comes up first in a lineup of sponsors because he means that much to me. Taylor's been with us from day one. I hit him up on day one and said, brother, I love your shield. I love what it represents. I'd like to give them out to all of our podcast guests. And from day one, almost five years ago, we've been issuing Taylor's Tins to all of our guests as a keepsake and recognition for their willingness to share some time and their story with us in our community at National Fire Radio. These aluminum helmet fronts, they change the market. They're revolutionary in what they do. Even if you're a traditionalist with the leather shield, the aluminum shield offers so much when it comes to durability, cleanliness, decon. They can do it all with the aluminum shield. Their customer service, let's talk about that for a minute, where things usually take several weeks now to get your hands on them from the from conception to manufacturing process and out the door and onto your helmet. Taylor can turn around orders within 48 hours, whether it's a 500-piece shield order for your department or a one-off customized shield. Taylor's doing them, and he's doing them within 48 hours, and they're getting out the door. It's not just the helmet shields. Nope, there's more. They got locker tags, carbon monoxide meter, you know, data sheets. They have pump data sheets, pump tags, locker tags, street signs, banquet gifts. You name it, the list goes on and on. Check them out at taylorstins.com. That's where they conduct business. You can hit them up on the chat right there. They walk you through the process of designing your custom Taylor's Tin from the website. So go to taylorstins.com, check them out. They represent the very best of what the American Fire Service is all about, and I'm proud to have them as a sponsor of the National Fire Radio platform. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Hey, everybody, Jeremy, National Fire Radio. We're back for another episode on the podcast platform today. Nick Esposito, captain out of Bridgeport, Connecticut, the rescue company, 23 years, second generation. I could keep gushing about this guy because I truly enjoy conversing with him, and I consider him a a dear friend. Uh, Because ladders matter. Nick, why do ladders matter? Well, they do. I mean, uh, life safety, incident stabilization, property conservation, right? Right out of the <laughs> fire one um, and life safety. You can't spell ladder without L. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's really why we're here. Right? Even though we need to put the fire out for sure, but we have to make sure that we can do our best to get those folks out. And sometimes the best way to do that was ladder. I love it. So let's hop in here real quick, right? So you and I met several years ago. I was following you on social media. We have some mutual friends And the relationship has just blossomed from there. But I always enjoy chatting with you because I find you to be such a wealth of knowledge and you really have a good understanding of aggressive 
fire tactics. And I think that's what probably led you to sharing your knowledge and experiences on your truck tactics page on Instagram and social media. So talk to me about that journey a little bit. I mean, you know, you went from, you know, a guy loving the job to all of a sudden now you're putting it out to the masses. You're traveling, you're teaching, you have your own training company now. How did that all evolve? Well, you know, I think for most, it's all very accidental. I mean, I, I was fortunate to grow up in a volunteer environment that even though they went to very few fire calls, when they did go, they were very aggressive with their ladder truck. It was a snorkel. Um, and nice. again, I didn't know otherwise, right? We were just out there doing the good work. And I thought that that's what was supposed to happen. So it, it kind of got planted very early. And then, you know, moving around through the, the fire service as an adult, I was fortunate enough to get on in Bridgeport. And then I, I landed on that ladder company, Ladder 5, and I had my, my opinion and many opinions on the job as one of our best operators. And so really having a front seat to that um, really allowed me to, to get a, a sense of the importance, the effectiveness, um, the capability of, of good ladder work and, and ladder folks and the vehicle. And, and from that, we were able to really just put it together. Um, I kind of got approached to write a, an article one time and it, it just went from there. So it's been fun. You like putting water on the fire? I mean, engine company values. I mean, you know, you talk all truck, right? And now you're in the rescue company. You're the boss of the rescue company, which typically is the su- supporting and acting as a special service, which is typically truck work, right? Unless the line's not getting to where it needs to be. Um, you enjoy putting water on a fire? I do. And so the, the problem is it's, it's the law of averages. In my city, we have nine engines, four ladders, one rescue. Yeah. And so, you know, we send four engines to a fire. Uh, we send two ladders and we send the only rescue. Um, so I, I like to go to fires. I would really like to be on a, on an engine. Um, but you know, your reps aren't as high as, you know, if we send two trucks to a fire and we have four of them, you're at least 50% chance. And if you're on one that's strategically located, you actually have a higher chance. So playing the it odds. really came from that, you know, yeah, it was playing the odds, but I, I do love engine work and I, and I, you know, people say, Oh, it's God's work. I, I do really enjoy it. I think that, um, you know, being on that nozzle, making that push, right. It's, it's a lot of fun and you learn a lot about yourself. And I think as a young firefighter that, that really gave me, um, an understanding of the severity and the, and the seriousness of the job. But then also early in my career, it gave me a, a really good understanding well, that, yeah, that right. I was able to have, um, I could do better work because I was the beneficiary of well-timed and well-placed horizontal and or vertical ventilation. Well, and that's what that was going to be my next logical question to you, right? Is like, do you feel, or do you think how, how imperative is it that like early in your career, you get a taste of the engine company to really understand what it takes to, to hand stretch, get water to that fire and how important then those special services are that support that function. Absolutely. So, you know, where I am, there are a lot of two and a half and three story wood frame dwellings. And, um, you know, we go to a lot of them, you know, I mean, look, we're not going every day. It's not like that, but that's what we go to. So when we do go to those fires, you start to see similarities and you wonder, I think I did my stretch the same way. I think we arrived pretty much at the same kind of conditions. How come this one didn't go as well as the other one? And then you realize when you start to talk, about other things going on again we all work together so maybe the the ventilation wasn't where it was supposed to be or maybe it wasn't as early as it could have been or maybe because of some other factors the truck was delayed in doing some things and so even though everybody else is doing the things that they normally do again working together and and hoping 
that those things happen when they really do happen at, at the right time. It does allow for the rest of the operations to go smooth. And so that piqued my interest to the latter side of it, that support service side of it, knowing that it really can be the make or break at an incident. Yeah. Yeah. No, well said. I, yes, absolutely. So let's talk about the truck company, right? Cause that's what you, that's what you do. That's what you focus on. That's what you talk about. Um, when, the, the importance of the, the truck design itself, the actual truck, right? You, you said before that when you came to Bridgeport, you were originally in your volunteer department. You had a snorkel, which is its whole separate game. That is that right. is a different animal, positioning, yep. setup, operation, all of it. It's completely different than your typical straight ladder or tower ladder. When you got to the city, you said you were surrounded. You were, you, you were uh, fortunate to work with an incredible operator. The truck's only part of the equation, right? And we're going we're gonna to talk all about the truck and design you know, ideas and things like that and how to operate with different design ideas. But talk about the crew of the truck, right? Because there, there is tremendous discipline that has to go into the, the functionality of the firefighters in the truck uh, you know, uh, market, right? Meaning that when they get off and go to work, there, there's a lot of particular things that are unique to the truck company. Exactly. You know, and that, that's really the, the core of the class that I teach. It really is that mindset. And um, I really do believe that regardless of how good or bad the vehicle is, if you have a, a crew that's, you know, well-trained, wired tight, knows what their responsibilities are, you can make really good things happen with subpar equipment. Um, but you can also take a really bad crew and give them the best truck in the market and, and they're just going to still do terrible work. Absolutely. So um, it really does matter. Um, your, your, your folks, your people, as good as, as apparatus are, and some can be better than others, it really just comes down to your people, um, I, I believe. Yeah, you know? no, I, I, I would agree with you 100%, right? Give everybody the best equipment in the world. If they're not trained to use it or disciplined enough to know how, uh, well, you're not going to affect a good outcome. So, I mean, that's just right. a given. So let's talk yep. about – yep, go ahead, Nick. What were you going to say? No, no, I, I was just agreeing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, positioning is important to you. Right, because functionality on a fire ground when you have an aerial device, regardless of tower ladder, snorkel, rear mount, mid mount, whatever it is, positioning is super important. And I know that's part of your lecture series also where you talk about the importance of truck placement. Just give me a little background on that. Why why is that so such a passionate topic for you? Was there something in your career that you were like, man, we were out of position? Is there is there a time where you got blocked out by an engine or something? Maybe a catalyst that like kind of got you thinking like, man, positioning's everything on the fire ground. It, right. So, um, you know, I, I informally I call my class the Mike Candela Appreciation Tour because Mike Mike Candela was the the operator. Uh, he just retired this spring, um, but he really did um, open my eyes to a lot of um, the benefits and the the nuances that the the chauffeur brings to the game. Yeah, and so you know, being a, a younger lieutenant assigned to that company. Um, most of the time we're splitting the crew. I'm going inside with one firefighter and he's staying outside, typically going to the roof with the other firefighter or doing outside support functions. And so I would go in, burn my, um, you know, burn a bottle down, come back out. The truck would be in a great spot. Good work was done. Thanks, pal. And then we just go on to the next. And um, I, there was really probably two defining moments. One was more direct than the other, but we went to a, we were special called to a fire. We were the third new truck. And they wanted us to cover a particular side of the structure. So, um, you know, we've been going to a, a lot of fires and stuff like that, but we had some, some obstacles run away and some wires. So 
like stopped the rig where he thought it would be best. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, nah, I don't know, pal, let me jump out and have a look. And so I, I, I said, Hey, no, 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 pull up, pull up another eight feet. And so he kind of, you know, I could tell he wasn't feeling it, but yeah. he did it because right. I, I told him. And then he gets out and, you know, he, he gave me the what for because I took him totally out of position. And I realized that as a supervisor, uh, I need to know better how to support my people and not think that I know that I am better yeah. and suddenly putting them in bad places. So that was like the, the first glaring um, event that told me that, A, trust your people, obviously, um, and then really get more um, organic with the whole process and understand yep. Yep. what's going on. And then um, the other part of it was uh, we had a couple of folks move on and we, we picked up two newer guys, really good guys, and they wanted to get checked off the drive. You know, and so when the time was appropriate, sure, why not? You know, you got one of the best guys in the business here. And I learned very quickly, you don't just jump in the front seat and drive like Mike. And so working with those two guys and going through the whole process really did open my eyes to a lot of the nuances of what is important and what we are looking for and why it matters. So many departments do not have formalized training for their chauffeurs. Maybe on the engine company they do, right? Pump dynamics, you know, theory, and then, you know, practicality of moving water. But on the truck side, if you're not a major metropolitan department, some smaller departments do it. But, I mean, a lot of times there's not a set course for chauffeurs. Can you talk about that a little bit and the importance of that? Right. It is important. And, I, and I'll say this. We don't have a formalized truck academy, right, for our guys. We don't, you know, I know there's a lot of places that do. Sure, New York City, you know, we're both close to it is, is the big one. Um, but there's others that do it as well, but most don't. And mine doesn't. So, you know, for, for me and for, for my crew at the time, we were very fortunate that we had a tip of the spear guy yeah. that could do that teaching. Um, and, it, and then it really did allow... Um, us to to kind of grow and 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 blossom and do some really good stuff, um, and and you know part of that too with a lot of the things that I like the social media aspect. What I didn't realize was um, how much folks felt alone in other places because they did not have that opportunity to have somebody that they could lean on um, or a, a formalized program where they can go and learn. So a lot of folks, due to the beauty of of the reach of social media started to reach out and ask some questions and sharing information and pictures and some back and forth. Um, the positives, really the positive yeah. side of social media, huh? Yeah, that. absolutely. It is. <laughs> and so the, the funny thing is that like a lot of times, the high majority of times, nobody sees that part. Right. Because people reach out in direct message yeah, or an email. Exactly. They just see the donkey uh, putting something stupid on a post just because they <laughs> want to get eight seconds of a laugh. Yep. You know, um, and so that's why I think some people don't put value in, in social media, but but it's there and yeah. the networking is, is there for sure. So. Yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that story of a little bit slice of humble pie when your chauffeur kind of knew better, but begrudgingly yeah. put the truck in the position you wanted them in. And I, I think that speaks to management and understanding that you need to allow for your people to succeed under you. And part of that, especially in the apparatus realm of truck operation it takes experience and uh, a lot of time, longevity, if you will, to really understand the dynamics of the truck and in, in positioning. And, and, you know, that is a skill in and of itself. And you're right, man. Not everybody has an experienced chauffeur that can teach and train them um, 
you know, like, like some departments do. And so, you know, you got to look for those other ways of educating yourself and, and seeing things. And I think that's the value of what you bring to the table with your social media page and your willingness to put out content to educate because you've been down that road. You've been doing it for 23 plus years now. Right. And so on. And so that, that then allows you to start sharing that knowledge on a platform where people are paying attention. I, I love that. What is that drive for you on your social stuff? Like, is that the reason because you get that DM, somebody reaches back to you, Nick, and says like, Hey man, could you, could you share that a little bit further? Like what pushes you to continue to put good content out to educate the fire service? Um, you know, it, it really is that. Um, but I, I think what happens too is just the natural progression of when people do go onto social media by themselves or even YouTube or whatever, a lot of times like they'll pull up a New York city fire. And so even if it's as it's happening, right. And they see the units responding in very rarely do you get to see the process of the operator positioning the truck and then watching the, the result and the benefit. Because typically what happens with a lot of buffs, nothing against buffs, they love them, but they shoot the apparatus coming in and then they, they immediately look at the flames coming out the window or the firefighters going in with a line or the hose. And then because the truck is off screen, folks never get to see how, how that operator went and did that positioning. And so one of the biggest things that, that I find is that folks are just flying in too fast because they see when a, a rig is making a block, they maybe they're coming in fast, but they don't see that last hundred feet yeah. of mm -hmm. really micro decisions being made and the little nuances of kicking it out a few degrees or kicking it in a few degrees or having to pull past a little bit more because there was a parked car in the way or a tree or maybe there's wires overhead. So, so that really was, and it continues to be a lot of the the stuff that I get when I when I get stuff through social media is. You know, we had this building and, you know, it was dark and I was by myself and I had a hard time setting it up and I got this part of the roof, but the guys broke my chops because I, I couldn't get anything else. What do you think? And then, you know, so you, you share with them that way and then, you know, they learn from that. And, and so folks are trying to get better. And again, it's, it's sometimes it is that one-on-one, -on -one, even if they're in, you know, some, mid, mid, excuse me, some Midwest state somewhere. Um, and they don't have somebody, at least now you're a resource for them where sure. you can at least give them some ideas or open their eyes to some other things that may not, they may not have seen. So you know, you, that part's been fun. Yeah, that's cool, man. I mean, you're making an impact, which I think is just uh, awesome. You know, it's nice to have a sounding board or somebody to just, you know, send a quick message. Hey, man, a little reinforcement or, you know, pick up a tip or trick. I, I just love that. But something you said before that just I just drew a parallel with what you were saying about people watching these online videos. And, and as the truck company is arriving, as soon as the truck hits that air brake, the, the camera pans back, but then you don't see the chauffeur jockeying that rig another three feet, cutting the, you know, cutting the wheels, getting a better scrub. Like you don't really see any of that part of it. Right. But right. I draw the parallel to what you said before too, is you'd arrive as a truck boss. And what do you do? You're the inside guy, right? right. So you'd hop off that rig. You go in with your force entry firefighter. You guys are, are doing your job, if you will, as firefighter and officer inside. Meanwhile, your outside fireman and the chauffeur are still jockeying that rig. So as a boss on the truck, you don't even sometimes see the final setup until you come out of the building 15 minutes later or something like that. Right. Right. And it, it did take me a few jobs to realize that where I got off in the beginning of the job wasn't where I got back <laughs> on at the end, you know, and, and like that. to the point, right. Sometimes it is only three feet yeah. one way or another. 
um, or or I didn't realize that we came down the street straight, but the the wheels on the on the on the cab were cut hard to the right, and so clearly he saw something that he needed to do to inch in or inch away, and I didn't. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't picking it up initially. Yeah, so, no, I get it. So let's talk yeah. about let's talk about the importance of positioning. Three feet can make or break you, right? I mean, Absolutely. that's that really is how close the margin can be on setting up your aerial. But that's also why you the importance of understanding the abilities of your aerial. Right. You know, and, and I get frustrated when people say, "Oh, this one's this one sucks or that one sucks," or "I hate that manufacturer." Listen, there's some rigs out there that certainly don't make sense to me, but at the end, like figure out what does work on that rig and then exploit that, you know. And so one of the lines I always say in my class, because there's a lot of mid-mount haters, and that's fine, it works in New England, um, is I never pulled out of the firehouse, go into a working fire and turn to my operator and said, geez, Mike, I hope the cab doesn't get in the way today. You know, we've we've never said that. We've always just positioned with the understanding that the cab gets in the way. And like it or not, you know, the vehicle that we have, you know, was designed with a raised roof, which is taboo for a mid-mount. But again, you know, we understood that limitation and, and how it could restrict us. And so because of that, we always worked to, towards the strengths and not focus on those weaknesses. Well, 100%. Because and, and yeah. you know, and the, the important thing is to understand the equipment you're currently riding on. Like, that's all that matters, right? Like, this right. is the, exactly. you know, most you know most cities and municipalities, the, the, the guy driving a rig really doesn't have much say in what he's given. Exactly. Right? And one day yes. it could be a mid-mount, the next day you show up for work and you have a loner piece in there that's a rear-mount straight stick versus a mid-mount right. tower ladder. And what your job is that day is to understand the functionality of that rear-mount and not the mid-mount. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, you know, our mid-mount, most mid-mounts are five-section aerials. So right. it's a short bedded section, right? 24 to 28-foot bedded. Um, we, we don't have rear-mount towers, but we do have rear-mount sticks in our spare fleet. And so there are four-section aerials. You know, so bedded, they're much longer, right? Um, and so you have to know that if you are working in tight areas where the buildings have little to no setback and you're trying to swing your aerial in, where you may be able to park that, that mid-mount and swing in with no problem with the shorter better bedded length, you really need to get further away with that, that four-section stick because bedded is longer and I, um, yeah i love that bedded conversation because we had that when we were years ago designing our aerial and we were we were determining rear mount first versus mid mount and you know that conversation came up and i said the bedded length matters a five section versus a four section right especially right. on say main street or if you're of a more of an urban setting with smaller setbacks right where you have a, a five foot setback off the curb line instead of or you know a 10 foot setback off the curb line or off the sidewalk versus you know a uh, larger setback of a residential home in a more suburban community where you might have a 20 30 foot setback right it makes a difference right and so exactly. you know and and that's those things where it comes to the operation of your apparatus to really understand the functionality of why you build what you build for the setting you're in right because right. in Bridgeport you're typically it's an it's an urban setting and so you know your your setbacks are not grandioso and so right. a mid-mount I would think in my world the mid-mount makes more sense especially in your more downtown neighborhoods because the setup the bedded length matters right I mean with the 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 bedded length of a rear mount tower is very different from the mid mount oh, yeah. tower, right? So we're we're between twenty four and twenty eight feet generally on a mid mount. On a rear mount, you're in the forties, and that's a tremendous difference. Um, you know, and and I think you have to look no further than Boston right now because Boston went from 
having a, a fleet of mid-mount towers, yep. five section aerials, and now they have, they went back to their rear mount towers. So they've gone from a three section, or excuse me, a five section bedded to a three section bedded. And, and yes, it does make a difference. And now those folks are reprogramming, reprogramming themselves to understand the you know, the turntable's not in the middle, it's in the back. I have a, a longer bedded length. They have two towers and, and a whole lot of sticks. So typically their towers are later arriving. So now they're trying to, to figure out if they are the, the third arriving truck or a later arriving truck later into a block in Boston, no less. How do we make this work with the rear mount? And, you know, they're adjusting and it, it's working for them, you know, and, and again, each vehicle has pros and cons, but it's the same environment and they are making it work. And that's Laddertown, USA. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, those right. guys on a, on a residential three wood, is, there's probably six aerials. <laughs> On a right, second. Exactly. I mean, it's incredible yeah. how they gain right. position yes, and the yeah. importance of that. How do you, so that was going to be, that's my lead in, right? Because how important is that type of truck culture, right? Because what, let's, let's take, cause a lot of people, a lot of people from all over listen to this podcast. So I don't want people to turn this off or, or, or say, oh, we don't, we don't have a truck or I work in, I'm in Iowa and it's flat and our highest is two story. And our truck is a secondary thought. I want to, I want to talk about, uh, uh, municipality or uh, a city that is uh, into that understanding of the importance of the truck, the work of the truck and the truck physically, how do you create that mindset that that truck company culture matters? Well, I think what's interesting is a lot of times folks get mad that they don't have the culture. Um, Very rarely are you fortunate enough to just show up and be immersed in it. Right. Right. And so it really does have to come it's grassroots. It comes from the individual and, and in a career environment, it could just be that, you know, um, we, we had it. And now like in this example, you know, our guy, Mike retired. And so you run the risk of losing all that culture. Fortunately, you know, it's been able to, to stay and perpetuate and which has been fun to watch. Um, the other thing too, is we've also have companies that may not have been known for a, a very healthy ladder culture, but now they do because the individuals there have decided that that's, that's what they want to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so um, there is value in it. I think the other thing too, is that um, if you're going to do grassroots, just chip away and, and do things that show your command staff, whether it's career volunteer, the value of, of those functions. And a lot of times it's, what can you do to support the engine, which is, is, is very important. I mean, the reality is that we're trying to, you know, do life safety. And, and by doing those functions, you're making it safer for the engine to get in and all that stuff. The ultimate result, hopefully, is that we're making a safer environment for those occupants that may be trapped in there. But I think as long as you can really start with that and, and go with that mindset, I think that's kind of where it begins. Um, but, but a lot of it is really just, you know, like the Quint environment. Everybody well, likes yep. to make... Mm-hmm. They love to make fun of Quince. I love Quince. I don't have a problem with Quince. I think the problem with the Quint is when people try to make them both an engine and a truck. And and, and you can't put a full complement of engine equipment. You can't put a full complement of truck equipment on there. I think a lot of times, you know, the, the truck thing, and to your point, like really what is truck work? It's it's a couple folks with irons and a hook and a can, right, doing a search. So maybe they have a search line as well or whatever, and, and then a ground ladder complement all that stuff can easily fit on an engine without an aerial device. Right? Yes. So that's not a problem. You know, the Quint to me is just an added bonus because if I can position that 
to be um, to allow that aerial device to be functional at, on a fire scene, whether I use it or the second arriving unit uses it or my neighboring department uses it when they show up, then then it's it's a plus, you know. And so I I, I personally can't see how a quint can be a negative. I understand policy wise, procedure wise, there's places that just don't look at it. They look at it as an elevated master stream or something to fix the flag down at city hall or something. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, but again, it's, it's onto the individuals that ride that company yes. again, career volunteer to, to position that vehicle, to show its value and then take opportunities when they're there to exploit that. And, yeah. And really put it into, into work. I think that mindset, right. That initial mindset of, you know, you, the piece of equipment, I'll, I'll give you a little, for instance, right. So like where I ride, I'm in an engine company, right? Uh, but yep. the, out of the other station in town is uh, the first due for any structural assignment, whether it's an alarm or, you know, structural fire will be a quint. It's a 105-foot rear mount quint. And if they arrive first due, they are stretching, right? Because ultimately right. we need to get water on that fire, and they are stretching. So if that's a four-man, we call it a ladder, but it's got a pump and it's got cross lays on it. And so, you know, if they arrive first due, they're stretching, but they're positioning in a position that two things, one, the ladder will be used for egress, right? So after water is established, that truck is set up and two, uh, incoming companies, the next due companies were all cross trained. So if my engine company is second due pulling up behind them, chances are that we now assume their responsibilities as the truck and we work off their truck, but positioning is a mindset, right? From the get go, we can't even with a quint, you need to position yourself with the idea that the truck can be utilized for the function it should be used for. Right. And honestly, it's not even an idea. It should be an absolute belief. Yeah, 100%. Right? 100%. And then that way, and, and like your system sounds perfect because if that quint gets there first and we believe that the most important function at that time is to get water in there or give folks the protection of a, a charged hose line, right? But the apparatus now has an aerial device that's in place for somebody 30, 40, 50 seconds later or a minute later, two minutes later to now use that device right. in another function. I mean, that's a home run and it, it really, you know, so for me, I don't see the Quint as a negative. I think the negative comes when people try to make it be too much. And the reality is that they should just focus on, on, you know, letting the aerial device be in a good spot to be able to be used. I always say this all the time, you know, if, if people are so negative on the Quint, that's fine, but your aerial device doesn't know that it's been saddled to an abomination called an engine. The aerial <laughs> device actually <laughs> believes that it's still an aerial. So treat it as such. I right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, um, for sure. And so, and, yeah, the, and we, the... we have one and it's, it's uh, one of those Pierce ascendants, right. But it's yes. 107 foot aerial and it's, it's got a pump and a tank on it. So we run it as an engine, but it's in an area of our city that they could be alone for a little bit. So we always tell them, just position this thing like it's a truck. And then when the first arriving or second arriving new truck comes, they'll use your device. And it, it, like now, two of our ladder companies have that same exact aerial device. Yes. So there's, there's, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to use that quint. Um, when it's properly positioned to, to maximize the capabilities as an aerial. Yeah, and the in the mindset on positioning, uh, we take it as far as we know any confirmed structural fire, right? Anything, whether it's a room and contents fire or anything greater, uh, and it could be an appliance fire, we're getting a second-due truck, and that second-due truck is a mid-mount tower ladder that's coming in. It's an aerial scope. We have the same second-alarm truck coming in all the time for us, and so right. that, that truck company is always coming in. So we even go as far with the mindset of understanding that wherever we set up our first due truck right 
our ladder, that rear mount 105 foot straight stick, that we need to leave room and position for that aerial scope coming in behind. So the mindset needs to be grander than just yourself, right? You need to be conscious of your second due truck and their ability not to be blocked out, the importance of edging companies positioned correctly, um, and so on. I mean, these are all things that from the early, from the mindset, even before that alarm goes off of understanding how you pull your lines, where positioning needs to be, first due truck, second due truck, right? These are all things that have to be ingrained into your culture and training on your apparatus. Right, exactly. And I think, too, like, when engine folks have a better understanding of the benefit of a well-placed aerial, I think it will allow them to have more patience and understanding in positioning their vehicle to afford the, the quint or the truck to have that room to, to be able to, to, to support. Right. Because again, as a former engine guy, there was nothing better than knowing that I had a certain ladder company coming and because I knew they had a good position or they had room for a good position, I certainly expected to be the recipient, again, very shortly of either well-timed, well-placed, horizontal, or vertical ventilation, right? <laughs> yeah, listen, man, you block that truck out, your ears are going to get warm, you know? Right. You're yeah. only helping yourself. Right, and, and they'll, they'll certainly still try with, you know, straight ladders, extension mm-hmm. ladders mm-hmm. and all that, but, but now – um, it may not go as fast, or some people will say we can throw ground ladders faster anyway. That's cool, but you know, you, and everybody will have these arguments. Well, they should be in better shape, but the energy that's expended doing some of that may now have a negative impact on whatever they're going to do after they throw the ladders. It's it's just a whole lot of things where we shouldn't put up roadblocks when we we just by taking a few extra moments, we we absolutely could make the fire scene much more advantageous for everybody. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. What else? What else do you like to dive into with your class? I mean, positioning is important, obviously. Culture is important. Um, functionality on the fire ground. I mean, you know, a lot of times that aerial device, uh, you know, let's take it in this direction. A lot of times people position that aerial device, especially quints, that the ladder way is, is secondary to the mission. And, okay, fire through the roof. Now we're going to put the pipe up and flow water. You know, not only are aerials four. Um, you know, uh, uh, reach and egress and uh, access, right? But it's also for suppression. Um, do, you, do you hit on that within your class and talk about the importance of suppression duties and, and how that works out with the different types of apparatus as well? Yeah, we do talk about that. I mean, you know, certainly, um, you know, some folks have, I'm not calling them a training scar because they believe that anytime you pull up on a type three or a type four, so an ordinary or a heavy timber constructed building, you have to initially position outside of the collapse zone. Right. And so um, conditions should dictate your operations and your tactics. So if, if you pull up on a type three apartment building, a three story, four story, five story brick apartment building, that's been occupied for the last 100 years and people were living in it this morning. Um, my guess is that it's structurally sound enough to position close to. So what I always teach people or I talk about is make sure that your aerial apparatus positioning complements the operations of the rest of the units on the fire ground. So if you have folks going in interior operating in an offensive manner, then your position should support those functions. So if I'm pulling up on a three brick or a four brick or whatever, and, and 
you know, it's a couple of windows are showing or something that doesn't scream imminent collapse unless the right. rest of the condition tells me such. So I'm going to position so I can get my aerial to those windows or get it to the roof and things like that. Um, I, I do think that for some reason, I don't know if it was in textbooks or just bad training, but almost across the board, once folks see a type three or a type four, they immediately just want to park outside of the collapse zone. And that's just not the case. And I think part of the problem too, is that when you see pictures from major cities that do a lot of work and a lot of really good work. And when the picture finally gets taken, it's yeah. two hours into the evolution right. and all of the apparatus are outside of the collapse zone. That's their justification for saying, well, see, since they did it, we need to keep our rigs out of the collapse zone. Nobody has the picture of the first 20, 30, 40 minutes when everybody was inside the collapse zone. Aggressive mindset. You know? Right. I mean, and, and just thinking, right. And, and just don't immediately revert to something that you learn. Like everything has to be taken in context. Right. Well, that, I agree, man. Oh my God. Yeah. We, yeah. Please talk about that some more, Nick. Cause that is just something that drives me nuts. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think too, like if you show up to a fire and there's a certain problem that you, you know, you have to deal with, with your aerial and you know that if I position here, it's going to take me out of play for everything else. Then the priority at that moment was that position. Right. And so sometimes you can't get it all if the priority is that you believe that there's somebody trapped on the floor above and the aerial may be the fastest way to get there. Um, but now trees and wires are going to be in the way to get the whole other side. You know, it's important. Um, you know, the thing, too, is when people have standing orders on SOPs, the truck always positions here, the truck always positions there. You, you can't you can't do that with any level of success on a regular basis, because yes. now you now you have personnel that are forcing the truck into a position that may not work for anything, right? So if I have a fire, you know, on the, you know, the, the Bravo Charlie corner or the two, three corner, and it says the first dual position on the Alpha Delta corner, it makes no sense, you know, and, and there are some places like that. The other thing too, is that when people say, well, we, we always position to maximize our scrub area. Well, that's great. But if you're on a two and a half story or a ranch and you've parked and positioned that vehicle in such a way that now you can't access the side or whatever, you, you've taken scrub away by trying to maximize your scrub on the front, right? And so a lot of times in, in our environment, you know, we say we try to get two sides in the roof. I am not high rise rich. I don't have a lot of really big, broad <laughs> mid rises. Right. So for me, the vast majority of what I can get is only two sides in the roof. Now, what happens is that gets ingrained. And so if you have a fire and say, you know, like a type two, you know, lightweight constructed, it's just block with a roll bar joist roof or something, right? And you have a couple windows and a couple roll up doors on the front because it's a, it's a tile a distributor or a flooring distributor or something. It doesn't necessarily make sense for that aerial device to position on a corner if there's no windows or any other thing that they would benefit from right. on the Bravo or the Delta side. And so because the building may have more frontage, that was the time where we should have said, hey, let's maximize our A-side scrub. So, you know, it's, it's, it's dynamic and it's important. And that's why when folks approach the block, just slow down a little bit. I right? love that. Don't go flying in yep. there. Take a breath. Hopefully, you know, I know some places respond with one person on the rig. Um, but if you have even one buddy on the rig, Say, hey, what do you see? What do you think? Even if it's somebody who's brand new, maybe they have no idea what they're what they're talking about, and they're maybe they're going to tell you something stupid. But like, if the if the kid says, "Oh, I see smoke pushing from that the Alpha Delta corner," and you didn't see it, 
home run kid. Thanks. Right. I mean, yeah. it, it could just be that, you know, I, I think, so slow, it, I, I think slow down as you enter the block is such a valuable piece of information, even for the engine company chauffeur, right? right. Just give yourself that half a second to reflect on what's in front of you so that you can make, because nothing I, I love watching and, and I am super fortunate where I am in New Jersey, in the Northeast, there are some incredible truck operators right around me that come into our first due and we go to the, we go to them on on you know second alarms and you watch these guys set up this equipment you allow chiefs stay out of the equation right unless it's a specific order because they see something or they need them in a specific spot but let your people work let your truck operator put that truck where he needs to be and there's nothing better than watching that happen a skilled right. operator positioning and getting that truck into service and being able to do that job is such a, a I don't know, just a rewarding like thing to watch. It, it, it is. And to your point, command staff has to understand that like their like stopwatch runs like five times faster than anybody <laughs> else. Right. So when they, when they see that truck make that slow roll in, right, you have to let the folks because they haven't been there yet. Maybe the commander's been there for five minutes or eight minutes, and he knows exactly what's going on and exactly where it should be. You can give them the tip to your point, I need you in this specific spot. But again, let that position naturally happen. You know, I'd rather take 30 seconds, 40 seconds, another minute to really fine tune and get the best position than to race in there and, and try to make excuses for the next hour and a half as to why my position didn't work out. You know, and so it, 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 even though it seems like it may be forever because everybody's running around screaming, there's fire blowing out windows or whatever, take that extra little bit of time and, and that better position will pay off much greater in the long run for sure. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So what's next for you? What's going on with truck tactics? What are you doing? You're teaching, you're talking, you're, you're traveling. We are. Um, you know, it just kind of started off, I don't want to say as a goof, but, you know, I, I wrote one article and then the guy asked me to support the article at a small conference and, and that worked out well. And I kind of just figured it would go away and, and it's just kind of picked up. And, and, you know, so most of our work was just local um, within Connecticut and then a little bit in New York, but now it's, it's turning into much more than that. So we're, we're doing a lot of travel. That's um, fantastic. Have, uh, yeah, thank you. I, th I think, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good thing, right? Yeah, well, and that's the whole thing. Um, you yeah. know, it, you know, having a full career, it does mean I'm sure. using my vacation time. It does yeah. mean that it's time away from my family. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've been, you know, Florida, Georgia. We've been to Oregon. We're going back to Oregon. We're going to California in the spring. Um, we've been from, you know, Maine, Massachusetts a lot now. So, it's definitely picking up and it is fun because um, as, as rewarding as it is to teach when you get out into these other environments and, and, you know, from volunteer departments to departments larger than mine to everything in between, it is neat to see what they're doing, how yes. they're doing it. If, if they love their rig or if they hate their rig, um, you know, all that stuff. And so um, it, it is, it's been rewarding, uh, but it's just fun to get out and, and work with like-minded people. And then it's, it's even more fun when you get out into an environment where um, it is a captive audience sometimes, and they may not want to be there, but by the time you're finished with them, hopefully you feel like by the end of the day, they did feel like they, it was of some value to them. Anyway, yeah. So. 
that back and forth exchange is so healthy because I can only yeah. imagine, you know, especially like West Coast tactics, right? It's very different than what we know in the Northeast. Not only that, but it's not a huge tower ladder culture out there, right? It's a lot right. of TDAs and, and rear mount straight sticks and things like that. And so right. the, the culture is different. Speak to that yeah. a little bit. Like, you know, the regionality of, of operations, it's so fun to see, isn't it? Right. So what's neat is like, and I don't come from a tiller environment, so, you know, and I, I'm very clear on that when I teach, too, because I don't want to. To me, a, a, a tiller is a, a mid-mount with a hinge. Did Bridgeport um, Did Bridgeport ever had tillers? They did. I bet um, they did, yeah. Prior to my existence, but they did. They had them from, like, the 50s to the late 80s or early 90s. Oh, those rich Thode um, days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. And then typical, the city didn't want to pay the tillerman, apparently. But um, <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, of course. There you go. Yeah. Right. Right. So, but in the Northeast, the tiller worked out well because it, it worked for tight environments. And so the maneuverability was the priority. And, and as such, it also allowed you to throw a whole lot of ground ladders sure. on there, which was good too. What we find a lot of times now is that folks are, it's almost like they're embracing the quint concept, but what they're doing is they're embracing that concept with a tiller that can also be their rescue vehicle or right. the almost like their structural collapse support mm-hmm. unit, right? Mm-hmm. And so the tiller does have the advantage of you can put a bajillion ground ladders on it, right? You can you can put a ton of equipment on it because of all the compartmentation. A lot of real estate, yeah. Right. Now the manufacturers are supporting it with there's I just saw a tiller the other day that basically looks like a full pump, right? Um you know, and uh, so it, the vehicle is very long, but because it is the tiller, it is much more maneuverable. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, it's certainly it's going to be interesting to see where, where tiller culture goes in the next, say, three to five years, because I think as more departments are putting on small pumps, tanks, and now some are even putting on bigger pumps and bigger tanks, um, really to see how they, they, they work with it. And then also it's always been thought that, well, tillers are, are lower maintenance and i think some folks are finding out that that may not actually be the case yeah um but also as they encumber these things with all this equipment and everything so you've taken this vehicle that probably was dispersed the equipment was dispersed over three now you've put it on one you put all your eggs in that one basket and then when that thing goes down how do you um accommodate for that so the, the tiller culture is very fun to watch from the outside looking in. And yeah. I've been watching it happen for the last few years now and the popularity of the TDA and, and so on. Um, it has grown exponentially. And you're right. They're, they're, you know, pumps and hose. And I mean, but, you know, the real estate, I know departments that were looking at them because they wanted to downsize the rescue and they needed the new truck and the tiller could, you know, a TDA could handle a full complement of rescue equipment for, say, vehicle extrication, stabilization, things like that, along with other some special tech rescue stuff. There's enough compartmentation to allow for it um, and so on. So it's it's really a unique piece of equipment. I'm curious how it does play out, right? It's like years ago, the Quint concept, right? When the Quint first really hit the market and it was, you know, a lot of people went all in on that, but that kind of, you know, it, it, it went to camps. People stayed with them or, or people got away from them because it didn't work for them. So I'm just right. curious how the whole TDA, uh, you know, culture plays out over time. It should be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I dig it, you know, yeah, I don't for have sure. any, but, but certainly if they threw them my way, I would not complain. <laughs> You know, I agree. Well, man, I listen, Nick, thank you. Uh, You're such a wealth of knowledge. And, um, you know, the the amount of experience that you bring forth in your class and through your trainings. um, I just I I think you have so much to share. And especially in this topic um, where I think the truck 
culture, if you will, from the hands-on to the apparatus has really come to the forefront in the fire service over the years. Um, because I'll be honest with you, 25, 20, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I, I think there wasn't as much conversation as there is today about the importance of the truck company uh, and how they operate. So uh, it certainly is a prevalent topic. A lot of people uh, on the hands-on classes like to go to the truck portion, uh, all the truck segments and so on. So what you're doing, I think, is really helping along the idea that uh, the importance of the truck and, and the operation of the truck matters. So keep doing what you're doing, brother crushing it yeah thank you i appreciate it yes it's it's been a fun ride and uh we're looking forward to the future for sure awesome well nick thank you where can people find you uh we'll put the links in the bio also um and so on but uh where can people find you if they want to reach out and pick your brain or schedule you for a class or see you next what what do you have going on yeah it's uh truck tactics is on uh, both instagram and facebook i think there's an underscore in there truck underscore tactics uh, my website is trucktactics.org and my email is trucktactictraining at gmail.com. So if um, if you don't get a response on the email, just check because maybe it was too long. And I know I misspell it most of the times <laughs> I type it too. So um, my apologies there. Yeah, trucktactictraining at gmail.com. Yeah, awesome. Yep. Nick, thank you, man. I appreciate you as a friend and brother and uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. I haven't seen you in a little while. Uh, and so it would be nice to uh, share some stories face to face. It'd be good to see you. Absolutely. Thanks, Very pal. Good. Appreciate it. Cool. Stay, stay right here. And uh, I'm just going to sign out and then uh, I'll get right back to you. So hang on one sec. Okay. Great. Great. Guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of National Fire Radio Podcast. Nick Esposito brings a lot to the table. Check him out on social media. Shoot him an email. Continue the conversation. Bring this conversation to the kitchen table. Like, share, subscribe. Take it to the kitchen table tonight at the firehouse or at lunch today. Keep talking about the job because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. So we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.